So good to see all of you. How's everybody doing? Doing okay? I'm still uh, hanging on to summer. How about you? Summer's not done yet. There's more in that experience. We're going to go for it, right? It's great to be back. Uh, my wife and I, Marianne, we got back about 10 days ago after uh, lots of vacation this year. We had a summer of rest. We really did. And uh, we were gone for like five weeks from June 30th till now, or just 10 days ago. And it was a season of focusing on just rest in our own souls and our bodies and just, just being refreshed by the Lord. And it happened. And I just want to say to you, God is a God who gives us rest. Amen? He gives us peace. He gives us rest. And uh, I felt so rested, in fact, that I thought, I better get back to work. <laughs> you know, you ever get like that? You're, you're just so rested. It's like, oh, c- come on. Now it's time to, to get going again. I'm so thankful for what God is doing here Missed you guys over the summer. I was here a few times, but gone a lot, and missed what God is doing, and he's doing some incredible things uh, that we get to be part of, and there's been some changes in our family dynamics. Uh, We are now experiencing uh, an emptier home. My daughter, Carly, went to a ministry school on the West Coast, and so we moved her there this summer uh, in the U.S., in California, so that's a big deal, right? You're moving your daughter to another country. I have daughter withdrawal. I have Carly withdrawal. I'm like, ah. I open up her door. I look in. There's no one there. The dog and me go in there, and we're kind of weeping, you know, like, where is she? And she's where she's supposed to be. And, and, you know, my happiness for where she is outweighs uh, the sadness that I feel when she's not with us. But we are so glad for her, and uh, she's in a great place, and and we got to drop her off there and help her get set up. She has three of the roommates, girls, from different parts of the world. One's from Switzerland, uh, one's from Netherlands, and one's from North Carolina. And uh, we got to hang out with them for a few days and help them get set up in their two-bedroom apartment. So uh, being a good dad, I chauffeured them and went with them shopping. Four girls, my wife, me. And we went in a day and a half, get this, Target, Costco, Walmart, and a grocery store, and they had to get everything, you know what I mean? They needed, like, everything, and so it's like you're going down the aisles in Target with your grocery cart. I'm, I'm operating the grocery cart because I'm the guy, right? And uh, they're going down going, should we have this? Should we have that? Uh, through every aisle, and, you know, like, three hours later, we're like, oh, okay, and now we're going to go to another store, you know, do it all over again. So, guys, you know what I'm getting at here. Big sacrifice dads make going shopping, but we're so happy for her. And I'm excited about what God is doing right here in our own midst and uh, what he's got in store for us. This is a great, great year that we're entering into. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 18, and then you can put a finger into Jeremiah, chapter 29. We're taking a few Sundays here in this series called For the City to ask ourselves to search our hearts and and find out what does God have in store for us for this city? What's his spirit up to? Uh, How is he preparing us for a a role in the kingdom advance of Jesus here in this city? And so it's all going to culminate on September 30th, and I really encourage you not to miss what's going to happen two Sundays from now. Um, It's going to be a monumental moment. Invite a friend. Don't miss it. Uh, September 30th, we go live into the new name, and it's going to be one of those days that I would say is a defining moment in our history. And we're going to be living into that name 
as Jesus opens up new territory to us. I sense that heaven is waiting for this day. I sense that angels will be amongst us. I sense that the Spirit's going to be poured out. I sense that people will be rocked by God's presence. And we're going to have a lot of fun, too, on that day. So pray into it. Pray for good weather. Pray that we have a blast. And pray that Jesus shows us his his name, his presence, his goodness, his glory as we step into what we're supposed to do here in our city. Well, I got a message here from the book of Acts, and um, I, I want to read the text for us. It's from Acts 18. You're there at verse 1, and I think the uh, words will be up on the screen. It's from the New King James Version, so let me read for us. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that's the Roman emperor, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and so he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Can we say that sentence together? For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I think that what this passage is talking about is a challenge to us to realize that when it comes to to noticing where we live and, and the surroundings that we're in is that God brought us here to use us here. And that we all live in a place that has a purpose. It's a purpose connected to the kingdom of heaven. And that's true for all of us, whether we're senior high or seniors in life, whether we're singles or whether we're married, whether we're millennials or Gen Z, or whether we're um, widows or widowers, whether we're involved in the business community or whether we're involved in teaching school or whether we're parents or hockey coaches or students. God brought us to where we are because he wants to use us where we are. So in this passage here, we've got some things going on that kind of need to be highlighted. Let's talk about the guy who's the main character. His name is Paul. He's a missionary-type apostle. And uh, he's been on one of his famous missionary tours. He's going around uh, Asia Minor and Galatia and Achaia, and he's, he's come through Syria earlier. And he's getting around doing what a missionary apostle will do. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's establishing the church. And then he's moving on and he's doing it again. He's not the only model of apostleship in the Bible, but he's one of them. And now he's landed for the first time in Corinth. He's probably never been there before. 
and Paul is going through a moment in his life. I, I think he's had a wild ride pri prior to this moment. And it's probably taken some of the wind out of his sails. And we'll look at that here to kind of get a feel for it. I want you to flip back to Acts chapter 16. And you'll see there after the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15 that Paul goes to a place called Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. Uh, it's... it's uh, it's got citizens that were former Roman soldiers. They're now retired. It's kind of a rough place, and he does some connecting there, and the gospel's starting to go out. There's the beginnings of a church, and then he gets persecuted. He's beaten with many rods, it says. He has many stripes. He's thrown into prison along with Silas. His feet are in the stocks. They're in the inner part of the prison. They're being handled as though they were really bad criminals. And uh, the beating that he took was severe. It really would have, would have made a mess out of his back, and uh, he probably was in a lot of pain. So, so what do you do when you're in prison, when you're being persecuted for Jesus, and, and you're there and you can't get out? What do you do? You sing elevation worship songs, right? Or Bethel worship songs. And, and so they sang their hearts out. Paul and Silas, it says, they were singing songs to God. You know, God, you're, you're awesome. You're sovereign. There's no other name but your name that's above all names. And they're just declaring their identity in Jesus Christ. Then it says there was an earthquake. The chains fell off. And uh, the prison guard comes in and says, oh, what's going on? He gets saved. Later on, his family gets saved. They get baptized that night. And then Paul uh, is escorted out of the town the next day. And he steps forward from Philippi to another place called Thessalonica. We're in chapter 17 now. Paul has some success there in preaching the good news of Jesus, and he has some inroads at the synagogue, and some people are starting to listen to him, but then the Jews rise up against him, and a mob starts to threaten Paul and Silas to attack them. They're in danger, so they have to leave Thessalonica. Then they go from there to Berea. This is in chapter 17, too. Things go well there at the start, and then some people in a crowd get all rallied up and they're going to they're going to do some violent things to Paul and Silas they're in danger of losing their lives so then they're sent on from there to Athens they arrive in that city you know where Athens is right it's in Greece home of the olympic games and uh, Paul it says was provoked in his spirit when he got to Athens because the whole city was given over to idols and it disturbed him greatly and uh, and so he's out there in the marketplace talking to some people, and they invite him to the Areopagus or Mars Hill where he can give a message to the Athenian philosophers. It's a little amphitheater, and uh, he, could, he could be there, and they would, they would give him some time to proclaim his message, and he did. And he preached this awesome message in Acts 17. Our professor, William Willimon, at Fuller Theological Seminary said that that message that Paul gave there in Athens was styled after Greek rhetoric and, uh, and, and oratory skills, and, and that with it came this sense of connecting to the philosophers of the day. And, and it's just a beautiful work of art, his message there, speaking about the God who is near you, that you can reach out to, and he can find you, and, and so on. But the message doesn't land that well on the, on the Athenians. Uh, some people mock Paul. Others say, hey, you babbler, we'll hear you again some other time. And he has a few people who stick with him, but there's no sign of a church really getting started in Athens. And then it says in chapter 18 here uh, in the book of uh, Acts, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. 
after these things, after all of these encounters that he's had with people in these various cities. And he arrives in Corinth. It's kind of a place that's known for a few things. It's got a couple hundred thousand people. It's economically thriving, but it's known for its indulgence. And what, it, what it's known for is sexual immorality. Because in Corinth, there's this huge temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And there were about 10,000 male and female temple prostitutes who served there. And the idea was if you were a Corinthian, you would go up the hill where the, where the temple was. It was 2,000 feet above the city. And you would pay money to the prostitutes. You would have sex with a prostitute. And you would worship the goddess Aphrodite. That was normal in Corinth. And uh, it was a city of debauchery, so much so that in the Roman Empire, if you were living a very vice-filled lifestyle, they'd say, you're acting like a Corinthian. It was not a good place to be. And Paul arrives in this place. And I'm, I'm imagining he's saying to himself, oh boy, if I thought Athens was bad, now I'm in Corinth. The thing we need to know is Paul was at a very low point in his life at this time. Just think of what was happening there in those verses that we read earlier from chapter 18. He, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. They're good people. They become followers of Jesus eventually. They become part of Paul's team. They're making tents together so that there can be some income. Uh, and, then, and then Silas and Timothy arrive, and, and Paul gets bolder, and he's compelled by the Spirit to preach Jesus as the Messiah in the synagogue. Guess what happens? The Jewish people in the synagogue don't like it. And they sneer at Paul, and they reject the message. And Paul does this unusually Jewish thing. He shakes out his garment in front of them. It's a prophetic symbol and statement to say, I'm now handing you over to the judgment of God. You won't listen to this message? Fine, I'm going to take it to the Gentiles, and maybe they'll listen to it, but your blood be upon your own head. It's, it's the way Paul went about doing things. The gospel first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And he's experienced a lot of rejection in his life to this point in time. He's not doing that well. He's not at his finest moment. And so the Lord has to speak to him. Just like those moments in your life, when you get low, when you get discouraged, when you lose sight of the, the grand vision of who you are and where you are and why you're here, when you lose sight of that, the Lord needs to speak to you. And so the Lord spoke to Paul he spoke to him, it says, at nighttime in a vision, and he said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. Paul needed to hear that on that day. And it reminds us of those moments that we face when we are, we are discouraged and down, and we just got to hear from the Lord, Why are we here again? Uh, who are we? Where are we going? What are you up to? I think that in this little passage here, I think there's, there's something really applicable to our lives. And I think it's a message that goes like this. God is saying to us, hey, you people who are followers of my son Jesus, don't give in. Don't give in to the fear that keeps you from being fully involved in the way God is working in the times you're in. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to worry. Don't give in to pessimism. Don't give in to cynicism. And, and you know, I think Paul, I can picture him walking down the streets of 
Corinth at night, and he's probably thinking, this place really sucks. There's no 24-hour Denny's. Just saying. The Internet is spotty. There's temple prostitution everywhere. For a Jewish guy like Paul, all those idols would have really, really, really upset him emotionally. And he's probably thinking to himself, God, of all the cities that you could have led me to, why Corinth? Why can't we go somewhere where the gospel can really take off? What is it that you want to do in this city? And I think Paul needed to know this, as we all need to know it. God brought you here because he wants to use you here. God's got a purpose for you in being here, that there's something for you to accomplish here. So don't give in. You might get to that point of saying, God, I'm done (laughs) anywhere but here, Lord. And maybe Paul felt a lot like the prophet Jonah, right? God sent Jonah to a city called Nineveh. He said, oh, there's a great city called Nineveh. I want you to go there and preach to them, and they'll repent if you go. And Jonah said, nope, not going there, Lord. He went to Tarshish instead, which is way out on the western part of the world. He went by ship. You know the story, right? He gets thrown overboard finally, and he has a whale of a time after that, right? (laughs) Swallowed up by a great fish, spit out on the land three days later, goes to Nineveh, preaches, and the whole city repents. They all put on sackcloth and ashes. The Ninevites. Ah, they're Assyrians. I mean, this is a monumental moment that happened back then. So maybe Paul's thinking about that. And maybe he's thinking, yeah, I, I kind of doubt that we're going to see a great move of God in the city of Corinth. And I think Paul was a bit paralyzed right here. This might be a word of encouragement to you in kind of a strange way. If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel paralyzed in your whole view of what God is doing in your life and in your situation that you're in and in your circumstances, if you're tired, if you're spent, if you're done, you might be ready for a great word from the Lord. And it's in the darkest moment of your life that Jesus will often speak. At night, the Lord appears to Paul in a vision, not a dream, in a vision. It's probably an open vision. He's seeing Jesus, and he's hearing what Jesus is saying to him. But I think that Paul was at a point of saying, anywhere but here, Lord. Just get me out of here. I mean, there's got to be a better place to be than Corinth. You ever said that to yourself, anywhere but here, Lord? Come on, be honest. I'm sure you have. Anywhere but here, Lord. Anywhere but these circumstances I'm in. Can I, can I be real with you? I have had that experience in my walk with God in this church, which I've been part of for a long time. Let me tell you about one of those occasions when I said, anywhere but here, Lord. I'm going to go back about 20 years or so. And uh, church was a lot smaller and a lot of different issues back then. And I remember one cold January day, I think it was January 3rd or 4th, I remember writing it in my journal, uh, we had a foot of snow, and uh, the city shut down, really, it just was like covered in snow, and back then, Airdrie had like five restaurants, three on the west side, two on the east, and um, two coffee shops, and I was exhausted after, you know, the week of Christmas, and and preaching on Christmas Eve, and taking some time off, and, you know, we didn't have much money, Uh, you know, we were so poor, our our pay scale then was so low, that, you know, I thought, I should tithe to myself. Uh, Don't worry, I didn't. 
Never done that, never would. But, you know, you think about these things like, well, maybe I qualify, you know, like, give it to God to me. No, 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 I didn't do it, okay? But, you know, that, that's how poor we were. And, you know, for fun days, we had two little boys back then. Uh, Marianne and I would take uh, our kids, and we'd go to a shopping mall in Calgary because it had an elevator that we could go up and down with the kids. And that was like a ride. And we'd buy a bag of popcorn and drink water out of glasses in the food court. It was an outing. And, uh, you know, so we didn't have a lot of choices of where to go. It's January 3rd. The city slammed with snow. It's 25 below. And I'm like, I got to get out of the house. And we used to live over here where the, uh, the pedestrian walkway goes over our highway, over the city. It's the only one. It goes right over from the west to the east side. And I thought, I'm going to walk to the, to the east side. And I'm going to go to the coffee shop over there. So I told Marianne, I got to go for a couple hours. Put my backpack together, Bible journal. Away I go. It's freezing outside. I get over to the coffee shop. God meets me, right? He just meets me. I'm reading the Psalms. I'm journaling. I'm weeping. I'm crying. Like God's like, are you sensing my presence? I'm like, yes, I am. I'm, I, you're, you are where you're supposed to be. I'm like, are you sure, Lord? I don't really want to be here. And on my way back, as, we went, uh, as I went on the walkway, I felt the Lord whisper to me, would you pray for revival for this city? I went, okay. So I stood in the middle of the walkway, you know, right over the number two. And I went, oh, Jesus, would you display your glory? from the north to the south, from the east to the west, would you activate all the churches in Airdrie, including ours? Would you, would you just do a new and fresh work in me? God, whatever it takes. I remember pl- praying these whatever it takes prayers. Tears are streaming down my face. My fingers are in the chain link fence over the walkway, and I'm just crying out my heart to God. And then I would walk, you know, heading back home, and I'd hear this whisper, are you done praying? Like, well, I thought so, but hey, I guess not. I have to go back to the middle again and 25 below, okay, God, we're really praying for revival here. And the Lord kind of whispered things to me like, do you think you were heard? I'm like, I sure hope so. 22 years ago. And guess what? Now we're seeing. Now we're starting to see what Jesus has promised every church and every believer. That he is ready to pour out abundant blessings and the power of his presence upon all those who hunger and thirst for him. And now some of the things that we've been dreaming about for years are starting to come to pass. But there were some moments when I said, anywhere but here. Can I remind you this, friends? God brought you here because he's going to use you here. You can't let fear or paranoia or anything else keep you from full connection to what the will of God has called you to. So don't give in. Here's another thing I think we get out of this. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Don't live in hesitancy and going, well, a partial, a partial engagement is enough. No, it's never enough. Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul, and he said to him, speak and do not keep silent. And I, I kind of dug into that word in its original language, that phrase, and uh, what it means is start speaking and don't stop and do not begin to be silent. And I think it's a message to Paul saying, you've got to get going here. You've got to, you've got to amp it up. He's like, Paul is already frozen at this point. Paul is already very, very discouraged. That's why Jesus said to him, don't fear. No one's going to attack you here. No one's going to harm you here. He was probably really concerned about that. Now, it's just my opinion. Tell your friend beside you, this is just Sandy's opinion. 
This is not necessarily the whole story here. It's, it's just my opinion that I think Paul was suffering from PTSD at this point. I think that he was in trauma. I think that he was scared. I think that he was probably having a bout of depression and anxiety. And he had to persevere through that and try to overcome that. And later on in life, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can check it out, he tells the story of all the suffering that he went through as an apostle of the Lord. And he says, five times I was beaten. Five times I received the lashes, which are 40 minus 1, 39 each time. Five times I got that. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned and left for dead. And another time I was in the deep for a day and a night, right? Paul's like 24 hours paddling, right? Just paddling in water while he's trying to wait for someone to rescue him. Knowing that Jesus is watching over him and taking care of him, but he still had to paddle away. Paul describes all the suffering that he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here he is at an early stage of that. He's not used to this. He's not used to the kind of suffering that goes with the advance of the gospel. And he's like, God, I was beaten in Philippi. There's mobs after me. They're probably chasing me from town to town. And you want me to stay in Corinth? Are you kidding me? We know that he overcame this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he wrote that great letter, he, he was really honest and raw, and he said to them, you know, when I came to you, I, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I didn't want to know anything about you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to know, do you want him? Do you want the real Jesus? And my message and my preaching, he says, were not with wise and persuasive words based on the wisdom of men. I did not want your faith resting on the wisdom of men, but on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what Paul got into. After he overcame this moment of hesitation, he just said, Lord, I guess in my weakness, you are very, very strong. You ever feel like you're ready to give in? Maybe you're the only one in your family that wants to pray, wants to read the word, wants to, wants to worship, and you're always the one kind of pulling everybody along. You just get weary of that. Or maybe in your friend group, you're like the only voice of reason when it comes to, you know, should Christians have sex before marriage, which of course we shouldn't because it's outside of God's plan and purposes. Or now, now you're discussing issues of marijuana and you're, you're like, come on, guys, come on. Can you imagine that a spirit-filled believer would be able to take two drags or so of a marijuana cigarette and, and get intoxicated and somehow that's to the glory of God? We're supposed to glorify God with our minds. And maybe you get weary of having those conversations. And maybe you're just, you're just saying, oh, I'm so tired of this. It's then when God speaks to us most profoundly. We've got to get to the point where we realize the voice of Jesus will carry us through anything. We've got to get addicted to his voice. You just got to get, we just draw it from him. The Lord whispered that to me this summer. He said, live from my face. I'm like, oh, how do we do that? I don't know. I'm just trying it. Like, I'm going to live from your face. I'm going to seek you every moment of my day. God brought you here because he wants to use you here. And you might say, well, I don't know. I, I didn't really come to Airdrie on that basis. <laughs> yeah, maybe I moved here for a job. Well, let's see. Who is it who provides jobs for us? Let me think. The government? 
Oh, God does. Oh, so God was in the job that you ended up with. Okay. Oh, or maybe you moved here to be closer to relatives. And you, you might think that had nothing to do with God. And God's like, I put you in a family. I gave you connections. I, I think you get the point here. We are here by divine appointment. And you might think, well, you know, I never even prayed about whether I should move to Airdrie. Well, you're here now. So the will of God starts for you right here, right? It's not somewhere else. It's right here. This is where it all now kicks in. God brought me here to use me here. So don't give in and don't give up. One more thing here. I think God might be saying to us, I'm ready to use you. You. Ready to use you. Ready to use Kingdom City. Verse 10, for I have many people in this city. Not just some people. Not just a few people. I have, the Lord says, many people in this city. How is that possible? God sees things differently than we do. God sees what we cannot see. And listen, friends, God is drawing people here from all over the place. He's drawing people from the north to the south to the west to the east. We have people that drive in here from all kinds of places. And this is a place, I think, where God is weaving together a cross-section of people, different backgrounds, different histories, different cultures. And they're all here for a kingdom destiny. So we can bloom where we're planted. This is where we are. God has you here because he wants to use you here. And, you know, he had to kind of remind his people in Babylon about that one day. Take a look at these verses in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. How'd they get to Babylon? God carried them there. It was the only way he could get the attention of Israel. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. In other words, it's time for you to settle down where I brought you. It's time for you to burn the boxes. It's time for you to send out the postal change of address. It's time for you to say, it's here, it's here. This, this is where I belong. God's confirmed it to me, and he wants to bless me here. And then look at verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Did you get that? In its peace you will have peace. So this is a huge word to us about, about interceding for our city, which we're going to do tonight at Revival Night. We're going to pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, we will have peace. Another translation, for if it prospers, you also will prosper. You want more peace in your life? You want, to, you want to be a candidate that receives all the peace that is possible? You're going to need to be a follower of Jesus, right? Because he gives us peace through the Holy Spirit, right? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings peace. But there's another kind of peace that you can step into, that you can be part of by being part of a community where God is at work. It's called shalom peace. It's holistic. It touches on every level of life. And, and this word is saying to us here in Jeremiah, 
that there is a peace that we can have when there's a peace that's in our city. And I want that peace, don't you? I want to see God's shalom peace blanket this whole region. In our work, in our relationships, in our families, in our businesses, and in our schools. So i got to ask the question here. It's really obvious. Do I view our city as it is, or do I view our city as it isn't? You see, if I view it as it is, then I, I look at all the brokenness of Airdrie. And there's brokenness here in the city, isn't there? There's a lot of brokenness in Alberta. There's a lot of Albertans on a treadmill towards hell. And they're just rolling there. There's just armies of people, tons of people on this treadmill dumping off into eternity in hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. There's a lot of brokenness around here. There's insane busyness. There's overworking. And when I talk to people, it's sometimes it's because they just have to hold together what they got. There's so much pressure on them. We get that. We understand that. We're not criticizing you. There's financial pressure here. <laughs> you know, why do you think we do offering declarations? It's not because they're religious spiritual disciplines. It's because we do believe that God wants to pour out abundant generosity where we live. We do believe that God wants us to be a blessing into our city. But there's brokenness here. There's family breakdown. A couple years ago, it was said of Airdrie, it was the highest recorded place of domestic violence in the province. Highest recorded place. Hyper-consumerism is here. Cultural arrogance is here. In 2014, I had this sense in my spirit that Albertans were far too arrogant. And we were just, you know, enjoying the good life. And, and I talked to several of you in our church, godly, deep men and women of God, who said, I sense the same thing. I think God's going to humble Alberta. What's happened in the last four years? In some ways, maybe we have been humbled. Maybe it's harder now because, in general, the culture around us has not been really appreciative of the Creator's care of them. And, and you know, it's, it's become uh, around here that... Uh, it's becoming so politically correct that now it's intolerant not to be intolerant of tolerance. I hope I said that right. It's just weird, right? So you can't say anything. You can't, you can't even ask a question the wrong way, and you're immediately labeled as someone who doesn't understand. And I just say, God, we need your peace in this city. We need you to break through in all layers of our city, in our schools and in our families and in our business community and everything else that's going on around here. Do you see the city as it is? Or do you see the city as it isn't? Maybe you look at this city and go, well, it doesn't have this and it doesn't have that and what a weird place to be. I get that. I struggle with that sometimes. And I remind myself we're part of the solution. Go make it happen, in other words. Be part of those people who make it better. Who's going to really lead the charge for the betterment of our city in terms of the kingdom of God? It's the believers who live in this region. So do you see this city as it is or as it isn't? Or do you see this city as it shall become? What will Airdrie be like when 50% of its population are people who love Jesus and worship him and love their city, and care for their neighbors, and advance the cause of righteousness where we live. What will it be like if half of our city of 70,000 people were dynamic men and women and young people of God? 
God brought us here to use us here. I invite our worship team up. You know, this summer, I had the chance to go and visit some churches that uh, were around where we were uh, traveling and where we dropped off Carly. I went to this church called The Stirring. I'd heard about it in Reading, and I thought, I'm going to go and check that place out. And I, I went to The Stirring, packed with um, millennials and Gen Z people and 55-plus people. I was in another church in, in Los Angeles this summer. Same thing, packed, packed with millennials and Gen Z people. Fierce preaching going on, dynamic worship, all kinds of evidence that the gospel is touching people in new ways in our, in our culture. So when I was at the stirring and sat in there, they had a guest speaker that name. He was, his name was Andy Bird, and he's a high-level leader from Youth with a Mission. And he cast a vision for the times that we're living in. I'm not going to give you his whole message. You can probably find it on the Internet. It's connected to this thing called the Send. I don't even know what the message was titled, but he gave a powerful message. And what he said cut through a crowd of a 1,000-plus people and cut through my heart. And a deep sense of, yes, God, yes, this is what you're doing in our times. And I think it was a prophetic call to radical, authentic, real, full-on faith to believe that Jesus is advancing his church like never before. And I sense that we're living in times where people are saying, I don't want dumbed-down Christianity anymore. I don't want lukewarm evangelical religion anymore. I don't want a sanitized version of the gospel. I want to see a gospel of power. I want to see real lives get changed. I want to see people get saved by the boatload. I want to see people lit up on fire for Jesus like never before. I want that. I want raw God. I don't want a God who's been hidden in tradition. I want to see his face. I want his glory to fall like never before. Friends, we're living in a time when it's going to require from us a new level of boldness to walk with Jesus. It's going to require a new level of faith and a new willingness to suffer if necessary for the sake of his name. Because like never before, God, God is activating people in churches like ours and they're standing up and they're saying, yes, this is what I've waited my whole life for. Last year, when Billy Graham died, and we all took in that moment, I, I stood on this platform and I prayed with you. And I said something like this, Lord, may the mantle of evangelism that was on that man that reached millions of people now fall on a whole generation of men and women. I didn't know this, but this summer I've heard that prayer prayed again. It was prayed by Andy Bird from youth with a mission and they're believing that God is ab absolutely doing it he's putting a mantle of Jesus the evangelist on a whole generation and there's this army rising up of young people of people 55 plus who are saying I've been waiting for this my whole life and Jesus is advancing with people who are saying yes to him it's happening in our midst. Friends, we're living in a time in which these things are going to take place. They've already started. In fact, I really believe this, that we're living in a time in which our city is ripe 
for revival. It is ready for spiritual awakening. There are people here who are so hungry for this, not just in our church, other churches. They're crying out to God. Foundations have been laid a long time ago. It is time to build for that to be a reality. This is not a time to hold back. This is not a time to be hesitant. This is not a time to give in to fear or disillusionment. This is a time when the kingdom is moving in our midst. This is our moment. This is our moment in our city. This is our moment in our country, in our nation, and in the world. It's happening right now. Right now, Jesus is pouring out His Spirit, and every hungry heart is getting it. Every seeking believer is receiving it. And they're becoming bold like lions. They're becoming bold with the message of the kingdom wherever they go. The gospel of Jesus is going out in new and fresh ways. Friends, you might want to come out tonight and pray your heart out at Revival Night. Pray your heart out for the advance of the kingdom of Jesus in our world. As Nathan said to us last week, every time we say the word, the name Kingdom City, we're making a prophetic declaration over our city that Jesus is advancing. That the high places of the king, is what Airdrie means, the high places of the king really are the place where he dwells. And so if the Spirit is speaking to you, I'm saying to you, don't hold back. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand up. Stand out in your school. Shed off fear. Embrace the faith that is required to move forward. And I'm just going to catalyze this here. I just, I just feel that God is just saying something really special to people right now. If this applies to you, I want you to stand up. If you're 55 plus and you want to be part of the movement of Jesus in our times, if your heart is pounding within you and you're saying, yes, I've been waiting my whole life for this real move of God, I want you to stand up right now, 55 plus people. Join me, I'm, I'm in that category. Stand up with me. Come on, we need you. We need you. Yeah. You have life experience. You have wisdom. You have gifts know things we need you and I want to say to everybody between the ages of 30 to 55 if you are willing to throw your life in this direction you don't want to miss out would you stand up as well you might be single you might be married would you stand up as well awesome awesome yeah okay all you young adults and senior high and anyone else if your heart is saying to you, this is my moment. I'm attaching myself to the advance of the kingdom of Jesus right now. Stand up, young adults, senior highs, everyone who's part of this. Yeah. Woo. Let's all stand together. I just declare over us right now that revival is advancing in our midst. Renewal is on its way. Breakthroughs have started to happen. New ground is being taken. Jesus is moving forward through his bride. And Lord, we say yes to that. We want that. We hunger for that. We want more of it. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your presence and your power like never before. I pray, Lord, that you would ignite people to be bold in their careers, bold in their future planning, bold in their relationships, Bold in their families, oh God. Do it in us, Lord. 
You brought us here to use us here. And we say yes to it. So Lord, I pray right now that the ground that's been taken even in this moment would be held onto, that we would not drift back, but we'd get even bolder for the cause of your great name, that you would be lifted up wherever we go. For the sake of Jesus, we pray it. And everybody said, amen. Let it be so. Yeah. Woo.